April of 2023, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson announced that he was running for president, doing so just days after we learned that Manhattan's district attorney was filing a series of indictments against former President Donald Trump. Hutchinson at the time said, quote, people don't have to step aside from public office if they're under investigation, but if it reaches the point of criminal charges that have to be answered, the office is always more important than a person. And I do believe that if we're looking at the presidency and the future of our country, then we don't need that distraction, unquote. Throughout his campaign and the debate he qualified for, Hutchinson continued to voice a traditional conservative set of policy stances and to be one of very few prominent Republicans to say that Trump should not be running for office while facing criminal indictments. It seems fair to say that this message did not catch on among the Republican electorate. Hutchinson suspended his campaign following a disappointing showing in the Iowa caucuses last month, where he received less than 1% of the caucus vote share. Yet what struck me about this is Hutchinson's set of credentials, holding a wide range of public and party offices at the national and state level and serving in both the Reagan and George W. Bush administrations. He remains a vision of what it was to be a respected Republican, at least prior to Donald Trump's ascent. So I was particularly curious to know his perspective on where his party is now and how it has changed. Hutchison was kind enough to sit down with me for an interview a few weeks after suspending his campaign to discuss a range of issues. I hope you enjoy this brief discussion. You were appointed um, U.S. Attorney by President Reagan, uh, later elected to the House of Representatives from Arkansas's 3rd District. Uh, President George W. Bush appointed you, I believe, head of the DEA and then to a leadership role at the new Department of Homeland Security shortly after 9-11. Uh, you later served two terms as Arkansas's governor. You were chair of the National Governors Association. Uh, I say all this not to simply read your resume to you, but uh, to note that you, know, you have been a Republican in good standing for some time. Um, and I'm actually just curious to get your, uh, you know, just kind of an overall impression of how do you feel the party has changed over the past decade or so? What, what do you see that it's been doing differently? Well, I would uh, add to the uh, uh, political offices that I've held. Uh, in addition, I was uh, chairman of the Republican Party of Arkansas oh. uh, when uh, uh, Bill Clinton was governor and running for president. And so I've worked in the trenches for the Republican Party for a very long time. When I started, uh, you know, the Republican Party was a red dot in a blue ocean. Uh, we were very small in Arkansas, and through the hard work of a lot of people, including myself, we became the majority party, and now we're a red state. Uh, and so, you know, the, the question is, has the uh, party changed? And I think without any question, it has. Uh, some of it is good, but, you know, the parts that uh, are simply reflecting the party as a as an image of Donald Trump is... Uh, is not good for our future, and uh, it moves our party away from uh, fundamental principles that uh, we have historically held to. So I'm curious. I, I mean, I, you mentioned uh, former President Trump in there. Obviously, is a very important figure in this. Are is this strictly about him? Are there larger changes that have been taking place uh, within the party uh, from even before he ran for president? Or do you think this is just largely a function of his interest in becoming president? Well, if you look at our party, uh, of course, there was a, a battle for the soul of, of the party uh, 
1976 with the Ford uh, Reagan uh, convention battle for the nomination. Ford won, but it also set the stage for Ronald Reagan with a new level of conservatism uh, to be elected in 1980. And that fundamentally uh, changed our party and provided more clarity that we are a conservative party. Uh, and uh, that continued to be our calling card through the 80s and 90s, really. And uh, it was fairly steady and consistent for limited government, for problem solving, for believing that character is important and that uh, we should be a leader on the world stage and strong defense is important uh, and that we believed in free trade and that it was principle driven. Now, personalities have always been important to our party. Ronald Reagan had a great personality. He was a communicator and, uh, and, and everybody has to be able to uh, draw support because of not just their ideas, but also who they are as a person. Uh, this all shifted with uh, Donald Trump uh, winning in 2016 and he remade the party uh, more in his image and he shifted away from uh, being a party of free trade to being a party of protectionism. Uh, he, at least, you know, that's, that's the direction he has taken us. Uh, he stopped concentrating on uh, controlling the uh, federal budget and making that a preeminent part of our uh, party principles uh, that we need to move away from excessive federal spending. Uh, so you can go down that list uh, and not just in terms of policy, but also in terms of, of how you uh, how you win elections and how you perform as a party has changed dramatically under Donald Trump. Now, as to whether that's a long-term change, I think that's what this election is about this year. And uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a test as to whether the Trump model is going to work in a general election and whether this is going to uh, define our party into the future. And you've got people like Vivek Ramaswamy, who uh, is in the Trump mold. Uh, you've got uh, others that uh, want to bring our party back uh, to more uh, traditional philosophy and principles and uh, set that as a course for our party's future. Hmm. I, I think it's interesting. You're, you're sort of contrasting this period from like the 1980 uh, election and the 1976 primary fight. And uh, obviously like, you know, Ronald Reagan didn't come out of nowhere. Like there were, you know, there was a divide. There was an ideological fight within the Republican party going on up until that time. Uh, Ronald Reagan was on one side of that, but was also a celebrity in his own right. Um, and I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm curious if you see, was there a larger debate going on within the Republican Party, say, leading up to 2016, where, uh, you know, Trump was actually advocating for a specific set of principles that one wing of the party was already fighting for? Was this largely about his personality? Um, or was there sort of like a, a set of ideological concerns that, um, that he was essentially sort of able to defeat a lot of what had been the establishment up until that point. 
Well, uh, that's a good question. And if you look at the Republican Party leading up to 2016, you've always had an element of the party that has been more uh, combative in terms of some of the issues uh, from the term limits movement uh, to the Ross Perot movement uh, to the uh, Tea Party movement. Uh, all of those have been elements of the party uh, that the party has been able to absorb and been able to manage and say, you've got some great ideas here. We want to incorporate those and we want to make sure we're responsive to uh, what uh, you want us to address. And Donald Trump in 2016 uh, uh, took it to a higher level. Uh, of uh, rebellion, of uh, disregard for our traditional institutions. And people at that time thought, well, this is typical of a candidate, but uh, he will govern differently. And uh, he didn't. He governed with the same chaos and anger and, and uh, unpredictability. Uh, and, uh, and then he ran on that in 2020. And then today, he is even a uh, uh, bigger-than-life version of himself in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, do you get a sense of, like, beyond him, uh, when you hear people at party meetings or at conventions or at campaign events, are people talking about different things than they were, you know, before Donald Trump got involved? Um, or just, are party conversations different than they used to be? You know, they are. <laughs> they absolutely are. Um, you know, first, the, you know, before Donald Trump, uh, the party was seen as and operated as a vehicle to support candidates who are running on our ticket. And it was more of a operational uh, grassroots uh, organization that was critical to any candidate getting elected but they saw themselves in that mold. And, you know, as long as a candidate was in the, uh, the, the, the same hemisphere uh, of our party principles, then uh, they were acceptable. And if they won the nomination, we'd all be in support of those. Uh, today, that has changed to where the party in conversation is more, how can we protect uh, the party from those that uh, are not uh, in the image of Donald Trump, uh, that are not uh, angry uh, at uh, our institutions, uh, that uh, do not want to go to the extreme in uh, uh, addressing what they see as a failed government. And so uh, the the attitude of grievance has taken over the conversation uh, more so than uh, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And that conversation used to be about how can we get candidates elected? Uh, how can we solve problems that voters are concerned about? And today it is uh, is uh, moved away from that.
when you say grievance, who are the grievances toward? Well, you name it. It's pretty much uh, <laughs> uh, uh, any anything that Donald Trump complains about, which uh, most recently is uh, the Congress is uh, is the court system. Uh, anyone who uh, dares challenge uh, 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 whatever the latest uh, missive of Donald Trump uh, might be. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but he leads the way on grievances. Uh, you know, and, 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 and you can, and that's where leadership bears such a great responsibility and that we've always had leaders that have tried to bring people together. Uh, and today we have leaders, uh, that try to further divide us. And that's the, uh, modus operandi of Donald Trump is to further divide and uh, to do that, you've got to uh, uh, keep building uh, the case for grievances and unfairness and attacking uh, the system. And that does great damage whenever you're looking at our court system. Uh, it's uh, it, No one has misused the court system more than Donald Trump during his business career. And yet uh, uh, now he's uh, playing the victim of uh, the judicial system. Uh, and that's uh, the most recent uh, grievance that's articulated. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask, but when you announced you were running for president last year, uh, as I recall, one of your main points was that you didn't think the party should be lining up behind someone who was under multiple criminal investigations, had been indicted. Um, I'm curious, I mean, was there uh, do you sense that there was at least somewhat of an audience within the party for that at the time? I think there is, still is. Yeah. Uh, and of course, now that uh, effort is being led by uh, Nikki Haley. And, uh, and and so, you know, whenever she gets uh, a third of the votes or more, uh, then that certainly reflects a very big uh significant part of the Republican base. And so, yes, there is an audience for that. And I think that audience can grow uh, if if we win the battle uh, leading up to the convention and, and showcase that uh, the route that Donald Trump wants to take our country and party uh, will bring us to uh, our own demise in November. And I do believe that there will be a realization that sets in and you'll see uh, that one third of our base uh, grow much larger. So when you say when that that mindset will will set in, you think like prior to the convention, you think that there's a there's a substantial portion that simply won't want to make him the nominee or that it will just simply it will not want to vote with the party ticket in November or what are you suggesting might happen? Well, and that's the unpredictable part. And that's, uh, you know, I think would be determined by uh, the outcome of some of the court cases, when those court cases uh, come to a trial and how the public responds to that. Uh, And so, uh, you know, all I can do would be to give my own guess and uh, prognostication on it. But uh, I think it's likely that... uh, he will be successful in delaying everything until after the convention. And so Mm -hmm. you could have a convention where 
people see the tsunami of his troubles coming, uh, but uh, he controls uh, so much of the party apparatus uh, that uh, he's still successful, uh, and that will lead to a lot of buyer's remorse in the fall. Hmm. Um, potentially something that would actually hurt him in a general election or just, you know, lead to remorse once the trials start coming to fruition? No, no, I think yeah. that is, I mean, the facts are, the, the polls show that uh, a majority of voters in swing states would never support Donald Trump if he's convicted of a felony. Mm. And, and uh, so if that is the circumstances, uh, it will certainly hurt him in the fall, hurt the party in the fall, and also, also help every, uh, hurt every uh, congressman, senator, governor that's running on the Republican ticket. And, and that realization will set in with the Republican base and Republican leadership uh, and the question is, is whether uh, that realization will set in uh, before the votes are cast at the convention or whether it's after. Mm. OK. Um, can I ask when you were running um, up until uh, you know, I, I saw you campaigning a few times in Iowa? Um, I'm just curious, how how do you feel you generally you were treated by uh, by voters, by caucus goers? Where how was how were you received? Oh, very well. Uh, I uh, think it was one of the toughest experiences I've had, but also one of the most rewarding and gratifying uh, the uh, opportunity to make my case uh, and my, state my convictions to a broad swath of uh, voters. And the response was uh, either we love this or uh, we hate it, but it was always uh, respectful. And it was sort of, uh, well, you're probably right, but that's not a message we really want to hear. And mm. <laughs> uh, so I was treated uh, very, very well. Uh, you know, in the end, uh, I think the votes that were non-Trump uh, went toward Nikki Haley because they saw her as having the best opportunity in New Hampshire and beyond. And so that diminished my support. But uh, I think we were successful in getting that message out. And certainly, uh, while not everybody agreed with it, it was uh, respectfully and well received. I would add, I, I had I brought a group of students with me to follow the Iowa caucuses. And uh, a few of them like got to meet you and ask questions of you. And you were always very respectful to them, even though I think it was it was pretty clear they were not Iowa caucus goers and they very much appreciated that. Um, <laughs> Were you similarly, were you treated okay by other candidates, by people in the party leadership? Were people comfortable with you running and being there in the room? Uh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, and, okay. and I want to emphasize, I mean, I spent a lot of time in Iowa, but I uh, spent, uh, you know, a, a great deal of time in New Hampshire. I've been in South Carolina. I've campaigned in Texas and all across the country. And, uh, uh, yes, uh, treated well. And with the other candidates, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an isolated world because even at events where you see the other candidates, we're all focused on the voters and not uh, our colleagues that are running. And so you don't spend that much time, but uh, particularly those of us that had a similar message, 
uh, it was uh, important, but even those that didn't, uh, we treated each other with respect and uh, uh, that's certainly important. Are there things you think you could have done to mount, not necessarily a winning presidential campaign, but a more successful one? I uh, sure. And there's probably 50 things that I could have done differently and better. Uh, in the end, that would made a difference in terms of uh, the outcome. Uh, I think that was uh, preordained, but uh, probably there's some of the things that could have been done that would have given us a, a better showing and showing more strength. Uh, you know, part of it, of course, uh, much of it revolves around money and how much money you have. Uh, you know, I'm not self, I was not self-funded, uh, didn't put our own money into it of any significant degree. We had to raise the money. We didn't have, uh, you know, uh, mega donors that would put in $20 million. So we were a little bit handicapped on that side. And if we could have uh, done better there, I think that would have told a different story. You make, uh, you know, one thing that uh, hurt us uh, was simply the RNC requirement that you had to have 40,000 donors. Historically, the... But to be uh, in the debates? To be on the debate stage. Historically, okay. the Democratic committee would have, you either had to have 40,000 donors or 1% in the polls. The Republican National Committee combined those, made it conjunctive, and you had to have both of them. Mm -hmm. and, and I agree that you have to narrow the field to, to make sure you have uh, the most uh, credible and major candidates on the debate stage. But that additional requirement of 40,000 donors required us to spend literally millions of dollars. I say uh, spend over a million dollars trying to meet that threshold when that was money we could have used to get our message out in Iowa uh, or in New Hampshire. And so, that dictated how we had to spend a limited amount of resources that we had, and that hurt us strategically in raising our my profile and getting our message out. Mm. I'm curious, is there anything, and you touched on this a little bit, but do you think any, is there anything anyone could have done, you know, to defeat Donald Trump up until this point? I mean, one thing I'd, I'd note, you know, at this point about a year ago, his polling position, he was in the lead, but not nearly by so much. Um, he was looking just slightly ahead of Ron DeSantis. There were other candidates whose names were in there. Um, do you think his uh, his victory in Iowa and his, you know, his probable victory in the, for the nomination, was this really always in the cards or are there things other people could have done differently? Well, there were times that he uh, appeared weak. You look at whenever he had his disastrous announcement that he was running for president that was obviously rushed because he was trying to get it out before he was indicted. And it was, uh, and then uh, he did not get out on the campaign trail, but he almost went silent and played a lot of golf after that. And he was a very weak position. Uh, and then he started manipulating the media again. And uh, you had uh, his grievances that he was able to articulate. And all of a sudden, everything revolved around him uh, with the media and the candidates always had to respond to what Trump was doing. And so the media 
uh, it was as big a challenge in how they handled Donald Trump as the candidates. Now, if you look at the candidates, uh, everything was tried. You know, I started out from day one with a clear message that Donald Trump was wrong for our party. It was a tough anti-Trump message. But then others, uh, including DeSantis and Ramaswamy and even Nikki Haley, they soft-pedaled it. They never took on Trump, and they tried to uh, drop the strategy, well, let's just win their hearts and minds, and hopefully uh, things will change down the road. Well, that didn't work. Uh, and so every variety uh, was tried, but nothing has really proven successful to date. And again, Nikki is in there, and I think, you know, she uh, built support. She uh, increased her likeness, and and now she's taken on a tougher Trump uh, position, and uh, she's probably handled it pretty well. Uh, but clearly, you have to make your case against Donald Trump, whether you started early or late. Uh, you can argue as to, you know, which one was the best strategy in hindsight. I would say we'd all been better off if we'd all been just as tough as I was at the very beginning on Donald Trump. And I think we'd have had a better chance. Hmm. Do you see a place for yourself in the Republican Party going forward? I do. Uh, I mean, first of all, it's, you know, it's the party I helped build. It's the uh, party of Ronald Reagan and Abraham Lincoln. And uh, I've, I have uh, close friends or relatives even that have left the party, uh, but uh, I want to try to have a course correction and to give it everything I've got to uh, see if that can still happen. Uh, I think the outcome of that is undetermined, uh, but I hope that we have uh, an awakening before uh, the national convention uh, in July and uh, that there'll be uh a voice for sanity. Uh, but if it's controlled by Donald Trump and his minions, there's not going to be uh, two points of view. And that's why Nikki uh, Haley's race is so important right now that uh, she continue on. Governor, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much uh, for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope it's helpful. Always very helpful. I really appreciate your students coming there. Uh, really sharp ones, and uh, glad you're working on uh, a longer version of what's happened over the last. So if you have a thesis and you have any conclusions of it all, I'll be looking forward to reading it. Excellent. I'll be glad to send it your way. Thank you so much. All right. Good to be with you. All right. Have a good day.